0: Our scripture lesson today is from Luke 21, verses 1 through 4. Jesus looked up and saw rich people putting their gifts into the treasury. He also saw a poor widow putting in two small copper coins. He said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in all she had to live on. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our Rock and Redeemer, in whose name we pray. Amen. Today is Reformation Sunday, and this year we mark the 499th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, dating from when Martin Luther nailed 95 theses to the door of the Wittenberg Cathedral. Next year, throughout the Reformed world, we will undoubtedly see recognition of of our 500th anniversary, but in the absence of celebrating the big 500 this year, I would like to share with you something I read a few months ago that lies behind and undergirds all of the reasons that I am a grateful Reformed Christian, a grateful Presbyterian. The reading is an essay entitled, Reformation, In the latest book by Marilyn Robinson, a lay theologian and novelist at the University of Iowa. As I read the essay, I kept thinking to myself, gee, I've been a Presbyterian all my life, and I didn't know that. That was, in fact, the title I originally picked for this sermon, but it wouldn't fit on the church sign. (laughs) So I reduced it to the more colloquial who knew Robinson opened my eyes to a belief about human nature, about the human creature that gives rise to characteristics of our tradition that have nurtured me in it. She expresses her belief in these words, reverence for the sacred integrity of every pilgrim's progress through earthly life. Robinson maintains that such reverence is central to but not original with Protestantism. With the Renaissance humanism that predates Protestantism, with Christianity itself, or within the classical literature with which the Renaissance helped rediscover. She traces this reverence for individual pilgrimage all the way back to the Hebrew assertion that every human human being is created in the image of God. She quotes John Calvin, the reformer from whose lineage we Presbyterians come who praised the manifold agility of the soul, which enables it to take a survey of heaven and of earth, to join the past and the present, to retain the memory of things heard long ago, and to conceive of whatever it chooses by help of the imagination. From this, Robinson concludes, the fact of human brilliance, of human depth in all its variety, is the most wonderful thing in the world, the most wonderful thing in the universe. It is evident, she quotes Calvin, that the Lord abundantly manifests his wisdom to every individual on earth. Now I want to take Robinson's essay with its deep respect for individual pilgrimage, for the image of God within us, and apply it to three matters before us today, each of which receives mention in her essay. The first of these is the need and opportunity for every human being to read, for every human being to read or hear the scriptures. Because the the reformers believed in the sacred integrity of every pilgrim's progress, they believed that every human being had the right to have access to the scriptures. But in their day, much less so than in ours, not every human being could read. Therefore, the early Reformers and their predecessors devoted themselves to removing the barriers between the learned and the unlearned. By making Christianity fully accessible through stories, through images, through reading to people in the common languages in which they spoke and lived their lives. From Wycliffe to Tyndale to Luther to Calvin, not only did they translate the Bible from its original Greek and Hebrew into English and French and German, but they heard the beauty of the common speech translated, and translated the Old and New Testaments into that beauty With which people spoke. Now it is hard for us to imagine that the King James Version of the Bible was Tyndale's effort to translate the Bible into the common language of its day, because that version is so hard for us in its uncommonality to us. But it in fact was written in the language of its day. Sitting with a learned aristocratic man at dinner, Tyndale once reportedly defended his work of translating the Bible for the common people by saying to this man who challenged him, If God spares my life over many years, I will cause a boy that drives the plow to know more of Scripture than you do. This was at dinner. I guess he then said, pass the hors (laughs) d'oeuvres. The Reformers genuinely devoted their lives to honoring the generality of people by giving them, first of all, the Scriptures. Then as the Reformation moved across the Atlantic to this country... The instinct that we have come to know in our nation to seek to translate and paraphrase and communicate the Bible in the language of the people comes from this deep-seated belief that every individual is ready and worthy to receive both Scripture and the learning behind it. As I see, I mean, translations and paraphrases have exploded in the last 30 years. And as I see and read some of them, I wince and I cringe and I think, oh, they're not theologically responsible or they're not beautiful or they're just not what I like. But but behind this is the instinct to give the scriptures to every human being. And that instinct is correct. Now second and closely related to it, The Reformation emphasized the value of every human being receiving not just spiritual respect, but earthly, physical respect as well. In the pre-modern Europe in which the Reformation was born, poverty was enormous, and everyday life was filled with hardship. In the period in which Wycliffe was first translating the Bible, the Black Plague swept across Europe. The Peasants' Revolt erupted in 1381. People were literally reduced in size and they were disfigured by the physical hardships and illnesses that they faced. Yet Wycliffe and Tyndale and other translators and reformers acknowledged that even within these battered human beings was the image of Christ. They respected the poor and oppressed. According to Robinson's essay, they provided respect even more than compassion. That respect manifested itself in their desire to share the best treasure of their faith and their secular learning with the masses, and their belief that the masses of human beings were worthy and ready to receive it. As you know, in our country, there are literally hundreds of small colleges they're founded in New England and the Mid-Atlantic states and in the Midwest and even, and even in the Western states. So many of these colleges were founded by Protestant denominations. And they were founded out of this desire to provide the scriptures and to provide the best of Western human learning to people of the first generation. That instinct all grows out of the Reformation. This respect for each individual no doubt paved the way, not only for education, but in Europe for the development of mercantilism and then capitalism out of the old feudal system. And it tied the Christian affirmation of the worth of every human being with the desire to give every human being The opportunity to learn, to read and write, to learn the sciences and humanities, to be free, to provide for self and family, to participate in village and town decision making, to prosper and flourish. Robinson finds in the reformers a costly readiness to show respect for all minds and spirits, especially those whose place in life might cheat them of such respect. Their respect is a reminder that the world they created and bequeathed to us provide education and economic opportunity to fit like hand and glove. Now, knowing that I would preach from this essay today, I obviously had to find a biblical story to go with it and justify it. The text I chose is the familiar story of the widow's might. It's common for us to romanticize this familiar story. To want to reach out and put our arms around this widow as if she were our elderly grandmother And say, it's so nice you want to put into the temple treasury all that you have, your two small copper coins. But don't you think you should be more like the rest of us and just give what you can afford? But don't overdo it. Don't give all that you have. We respond to this impoverished widow with compassion, with protection with paternalism, even to some extent with condescension. But Jesus lifts her up as a model of faith. He responds with respect. Now finally, Robinson has some wisdom for those of us who live on this side of this historical arc of literacy. As I indicated in a recent sermon, it is estimated now that about 85% of the world's population has the ability to read and write. And a great number of those have the same kind of access to mobile phones and devices that we have. When I was in Kenya um, five or six years ago, even then, it was amazing how many people in that village, poor country, have cell phones. What this has come to mean for our culture today in the United States and elsewhere too, is that contrary to when the scriptures were first being translated in the languages of the people, we now receive a multitude of words and images of varying quality and tone and content at any time of the day for most anyone of any age almost anywhere in the world. And certainly in this country we do not live with a shortage or inaccessibility to words. Yet we know that many of the words we hear and read are false. Many of them are hateful. Many of them are aimed to incite us. Many of them are racist or misogynist or homophobic or demeaning to any numbers of people in our society and vocations that they do. Many of the words that come our way are pornographic, and many of the words and images are violent. Robinson describes this degradation of language as part of what she calls something we all feel, and that is she labels it cultural pessimism. Cultural pessimism, she writes, is always fashionable. And since we are human, there's always plenty of evidence to look around and see things that can depress us, that can make us sad or pessimistic about the human race. She says this has the negative consequence, when we do this, of depressing our level of aspiration, of holding us back from thinking and imagining what really can be possible. She also says it encourages terrible remedies, inspired by delusions of threat. Our adult education teacher the past couple of weeks has been talking about this, about how, you know, how for a lot of reasons we all think we're under more of a threat than the facts would bear out. But this pessimism leads us to have these delusions of threat and leads us to having bitter hostility toward many or most of the people within the very culture that the pessimists are always intent on rescuing. But being the Reformed Christian that she is, Robinson refuses to allow such pessimism to rule the day. She says, it is easy to forget that there are always as good grounds for optimism as there are for pessimism. Exactly the same grounds, in fact, that is because we are human. We still, despite whatever century or era of history we live in, we still have every potential for good that the human creature ever had. We are still creatures of singular interest and value. We are still agile of soul as we have always been. Nothing can kill that. And as we will continue to be, even despite our many errors and depredations... For as long as we abide on the face of the earth. On this 499th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. As we approach the table of the Lord. I want to return to and leave you with some earlier words she has written. And I would like you to, even, even if it means grabbing one phrase, to bring that phrase with you as you partake of bread and wine. The fact of human brilliance. The fact of human depth. That you have, and you have, and you have and you have is the most wonderful thing in the world it is the most wonderful thing in the universe we were given it at creation we were created with it Part of being in the image of God. It is what Christ redeems us to be. And it is what we can live out of. In Christ. Even when the times don't seem very good. Amen.